0: So yesterday, we concluded our study around sort of these opening verses in Haggai with consider your ways, which you will see there in verse five. Uh, You see it again in verse seven. Thus said the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Uh, And the word consider is made of two Hebrew words. And we might sort of say in one way, uh, lay it up to your heart. But that's the key that they're being told to think carefully, think deeply about their priorities. What are their priorities? So verse six, you've sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you have not enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. Clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. And this is such an exhortation for every generation. All of us need to think, don't we? What. Does does our energy go on? Are we, and you remember the, the context here, are we building our houses or God's? Go back to verse two. Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, this people say the time is not come, the time is not come for the Lord's house to be built. But verse four, is it time for you to dwell in your sealed houses while this house lies waste? So they're putting their priority into their own material things, but they're not putting their priority into the building of the Lord God's house. So all of us need to think to ourselves, what does my energy go on? Building God's house or mine? The exhortation here is, verse 8, go up to the mountain, bring wood and build the house, the temple. And I will take pleasure in it and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. He looked for much and lo, it came to little. And when he brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why? saith the Lord of hosts. Because my house lies waste, and ye run every man to his own house. Well, no surprise, as ever, with these parts of Scripture, we see time and again patterns of scripture and things like this being picked up. And this passage we believe is picked up by the Lord Jesus Christ. So of course we're going to come back here, but let's go to Luke chapter twelve together.
1: And you'll see how the Lord
0: picks up this passage to exhort us. So I'll have a go at doing some emphasis, but you'll be able to work it out pretty quickly. Luke 12, verse 22. Jesus said unto his disciples, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life what ye shall eat, neither for the body what ye shall put on. For the life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn, and God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than the founts? And which of you, with taking thought, can add to his stature one cubit? If ye then be not able to do that thing which is least, why take ye thought for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They tall not, they spin not. And yet I send you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. So the people in Haggai's day essentially needed to learn this same lesson, didn't they? The glory of, of building their own house w- was vanity. Uh, look what the Lord Jesus Christ says in verse 15. Take heed, beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things that he possesses. were men and women in Haggai's day had lost their focus on God. Instead, they were building lives that had no lasting value. They never had enough. They were consumed by materialism. They even built houses like Solomon's. Remember, they're sealed houses. It's only Solomon, the only other individual in Scripture, whose own house, that the temple was, had, had cedar panelling, his own house. And, then, and here were they trying to build houses like Solomon's house. But what the Lord Jesus warns in verse 27, Consider the lilies how they grow. They tar not, they spin not. And yet I send you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. The point hits home even more, I think, when Haggai, in his next prophecy, less than a month later, stay in Luke 12 for now, makes this point Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? And it's referring back, isn't it, to Solomon's temple. And how do you see it as now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison as of nothing? So we know that then, don't we, from Haggai, and we've got a cross-reference there to Ezra 3, because you remember how the old ones had that same feeling. They were upset by the building project. And ironically, that sour attitude led to them putting energy into their own houses, laying up riches like Solomon in all his glory. And yet God says, through the prophet, I'm going to fill this house with glory. The glory of this house shall be greater than the former. Let's consider the implication of this for our own lives, though, that essentially, if, as some of those brothers and sisters clearly did, and sadly, in this case, some of the older ones, it seems, we start knocking the ecclesia, the temple of God, it can lead to us being distracted And we put energy into the wrong things, things to do with our own glory in the end and not God's. Don't put energy into putting down the ecclesia, constantly finding, oh, it's not like it. Don't do that. Focus on the word. Focus on building up. As we keep reading Luke 12, it becomes even more convincing that the Lord Jesus has the words of Haggai in mind. Pick up in verse 28 now. If then God so clothe the grass, which is today in the field and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Seek not what you shall eat, what you shall drink, neither be of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after. And your father knows that you have need of these things, but rather seek ye the kingdom of God and all these, these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Tell that you have, give alms. Provide yourself bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approaches, neither moth corrupteth. Or where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so we see there some of the connections that are so clear, just to that one verse in, in Haggai 1 and verse 6, which is talking about considering your ways sewing, eating, drinking, clothing, bags with holes and bags that are old. You can see so clearly there in Luke 12, the Lord Jesus Christ, drawing on what was happening there in Haggai's time and the exhortation that he was giving and the Lord Jesus Christ using that word that to exhort us, to exhort every generation, to ensure that we get this, that we need to get our priorities right. And the question of priorities isn't simply a question of right and wrong. Of course, it's right that we seek God's kingdom in our lives because he tells us to. But what we realize is that thankfully, God knows us better than we know ourselves. So although we should seek first God's kingdom simply because it is the right thing to do and God says we should, we're also pleased to learn that it's what's best for us, for our own mental health and for our relationships with others. If, if we think that our lives should be about chasing riches, always looking to get to the next step, then we're badly mistaken. Of course, we're not suggesting that people who are really struggling with money shouldn't be helped. Of course not. We should help where there's need. But materialism is a huge problem for mankind. It affects us all to some extent. We're too preoccupied with possessions and image. And because, certainly in the Western world, our economy depends on spending, we have to put up with advertising bombarding us all the time. So it's difficult to resist. Sadly, though, it's both socially destructive and self-destructive. It's associated with anxiety, depression, broken relationships. This is why we should listen to God. But look what the Lord Jesus says in verse 15 again. Take heed, beware of covetousness. Okay? A man's life doesn't consist in the things which he possesses. He spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully... And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. Then this will I do. I'll walk down my barns, build greater. There will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much good laid up for many years. Take thine eyes, eat, drink, be merry. God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which that for thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself, and is not rich toward God. It is such a powerful lesson, isn't it? We must, must learn. In doing a little bit of research on this, I've came across an article which said this: "There has long been a correlation observed between materialism, a lack of empathy, an engagement with others, and unhappiness. But research conducted over the past few years seems to show causation. A series of published studies show that as people become more materialistic, their well-being, good relationships, autonomy, sense of purpose, and the rest, diminishes. And as they become less materialistic, it rises. And when you see something like that, to me, I think, oh, of course, God knows best. God knows best. He's told us this. We've got to believe God, trust God, and try and make sure We're making that a reality in our lives. What is our priority? Is our priority to make sure that we're laying up treasure toward God? That's what we need to be doing. Where he says in verse 33, sell that you have, give alms, provide yourselves bags which wax not old. I don't think we need to be thinking to ourselves, look, we've got to sell everything that we have. Clearly, that would just have us relying on others, which we shouldn't do. What surely it's telling us is get rid of the things in your life that stop you seeking the kingdom. That's what's got to come first. So with those things in mind, let's go back to Haggai. And hopefully you can see why we've made such a big thing of that. You know, you, you know where are we? We're in the time of uh, the, the book of Ezra, the time of Zerubbabel, Jeshua, You know, they have been 17 years of the building stopping work and God sent Haggai and Zechariah. The exhortation that Haggai gives is picked up by the Lord Jesus Christ and and given to us all to make sure we've got this. Do not get your priorities wrong. Don't be about materialism. Make sure what we're looking to do is build up the house of God. That is where our priorities could lie. So that is why we've uh, spent some time Going over and emphasizing that now. So let's just read that verse six again and hopefully you can just see the power of the Lord Jesus Christ's words and perhaps you want to put in your margin, Luke 12. Ye have so much and bring in little. Ye eat and have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there's none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Of course, we're now going to pick up in the exhortation. Go up to the mountain, bring wood, build a house. I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. He looked for much, lo, it came to little. When he brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord, because of mine house it is the waste, and ye run every man to his own house. So that is such strong exhortation for us, isn't it? It can easily happen where. We focus on making our lives more comfortable and shy away from ecclesial responsibilities. It's foolish. We should consider our ways. Are we finding that we're looking for much and it's coming to little? In other words, we keep working hard in our jobs, etc., but we find little fulfillment. To rectify the problem, we need to get the focus right. God's house comes first. The ecclesia is our priority, and never more so now. But it's clear from the next verses that in this particular case, the Lord God intervened. It seems that the Lord God, during this 17 years where they weren't doing, made sure they realized they weren't going to get anywhere if they weren't putting their priorities right. How did God intervene? Let's pick it up now in verse 10. Therefore, the heaven over you Because you've not been putting your priority into God's house, it's for that reason that the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. And I called for a drought upon the land and upon the mountains and upon the corn and upon the new wine and upon the oil and upon that which the ground bringeth forth and upon men and upon cattle and upon all the labor of their hands. And the connection that Haggai is making here is back to the law regarding the blessings and cursings. So there I've put two really important cross-references for us here. The two key chapters, one in Leviticus, Leviticus 23, and one in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 28. And note from the slide, the language which is coming out in these verses. Okay, So you can see there the rain, the, the land, the fruit, Okay, the cattle, the fruit, the lamb, the corn, the wine, the oil. You see these things? It's God saying, okay, I am the one who's stopping you being blessed because you are choosing to get your priorities wrong. You're choosing to do your own thing and not serve me and not prioritize the building of my house. The God has directly intervened, and he, through Haggai, he's saying, I'm stopping the rain." to try to get you to listen to me, to get you to reprioritize your lives. A significant point that I think is helpful, and it's slight aside, but I think it's worth us making here, is that it can make all the difference in our attitude to giving in terms of prioritizing the ecclesia if we genuinely believe that the blessings in our lives are from God. That's a really, really important point. Do we believe that? Now, when we are praying and saying, thank you for the blessings in our lives, do we believe the blessings in our lives are from God? Because if we really do, the giving is easy. We're generous. We're not holding treasure to ourselves. If we are holding treasure to ourselves, and that's where our heart is, yikes. But, but if we understand that the blessings we have are from God, then the giving becomes that much easier. Well, here you can imagine Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the others listening to Haggai speak and being galvanized into action. And it's thrilling that they are. So see this now in verse 12. Then, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, Joshua, the son of Josiah, it's great, isn't it? The same two people, they're there again. You know, these men, they've been working, they've got the foundation laid, Yes, there's been this break for some 17 or so years, but now it's these two again that respond to the word of God, the rubble and Jeshua. And with them, all the remnant of the people, they obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people did fear before the Lord. Then spake Haggai, the Lord's messenger, in the Lord's message unto the people, saying, I am with you, saith the Lord. And the Lord stirred up, there's our word, stirred up. You know that word, Ezra 1 verse 1, stirred up. The spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jozebac, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and did work in the house of the Lord, of hosts their God, in the 420th month, in the 420th day, in the 6th month, in the 2nd day of Darius the king. That's great, isn't it, to see that how Haggai is able to stir them up and they respond to his word. And you can see, I hope, that from verse 15, how that that corresponds to Ezra 4 and verse 24. Remember that place in Ezra where we left off the end of the brackets, when the narrative picked up again, the last verse of Ezra 4, beginning of Ezra chapter 5, verse 1. This is when Haggai is given that message and they're now going to respond they're going to get building again. And it's great really that less than a month from beginning to prophesy, Haggai could see God's word affecting these people for good. And and as we noted in our first study that Cyrus was stirred up by the Lord through his word, uh, that the word of the Lord according to the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. Uh, And we're sure, aren't we, that it might be people like Daniel who was studying Jeremiah who would have shown Cyrus the time had come. But the point that I want you to get is it's the word of God, essentially, that is, su- is stirring Cyrus up. And, and now, once again, it's the word of God through Haggai and Zechariah, which is stirring up the rubble and Jeshua and the people. Uh, it's that same word that we're seeing there in verse 14. The word of God is powerful. It's dynamic. That's the word, isn't it, in 2 Timothy 3. Dynamis. It's able. It's dynamic. It's able to make us wise unto salvation. It's such a good thing to spend time in the Word. We, we believe that we're on the brink of the Lord's return, that we should be considering our ways. Are we getting ourselves to places where the word of God is being expounded, which can stir us up the work?
1: So let's reflect on that. Do we do the readings in our homes?
0: And, you know, if it's not the readings, is it another way that we are each day. The Lord Jesus Christ, morning by morning, opened his ear to the Word. It's so important that we're willing to listen to the Word of God. When people come round to our house, do they know? Bring your Bibles, because, you know, you're always going to do the readings when you go to that home. That's just part of the fellowship that you're going to share in that home. Do we do that? If not, what a great time Bible school is, isn't it? To say, you know, I'm going to change something. I'm going to consider my ways and I'm going to do something about that. I'm going to make sure that's a priority in our home. Do we prioritize getting to the Bible class, helping, you know, if there's two in the house again and you've got young children, maybe one of them, someone's always able to get out to the Bible class. ABs, do, do we consider who's speaking in our ecclesias to ensure that brothers who are opening up the word are those who are being asked to speak? We're not asking people to just come and tell anecdotes and stories and let's all sit there and say, oh, no, well, you know, that was, that was what a lovely, lovely, you know, nice thing to hear. Or, or somebody's telling us that they had a God moment when they walked up a mountain. That's not what it should be. We should be trying to expand the word of God. Is that what we're trying to get going in our ecclesia, do we see the need to work, to build up the house of God? Go up to the mountain, bring wood, build the house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. Well, As we're thinking about being stirred up, we've seen in verse 14, it's the spirit of Jeshua and Zerubbabel, there in verse 14, which is being stirred up. Now, let's just focus on the word spirit for a moment. We, we know that their spirit was being stirred up by the word of God, Haggai, Zechariah. God's spirit has moved them. And in that sense, they've they heard God's word and got into action. Now, if you come to Zechariah 4 with me for a moment, you'll see Zechariah speaking to Zerubbabel. Remember Zechariah and Haggai, these are the two prophets together, so we're not surprised to be turning here and we're thinking about the same type of thing. So here we see Zechariah speaking to Zerubbabel and explaining to him that it's in God's strength that he will build the temple. Zechariah 4 and verse 6. He answered and spake unto me, saying, This is is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Who art thou, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel thou shalt become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof, with shoutings, crying, Grace, grace unto it. Verse 9. Hands as a rubber will have laid the foundation of this house, his hands shall finish it, and thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts has sent me unto you. So, coming back then to Haggai, notice in Haggai 2 and verse 5. So we've seen that Zechariah says to Zerubbabel, not by your might, nor by your power, but by my spirit, saith or you are going to have the strength to to build this house, to be the one that finishes building this house. And here we see in Haggai 2 and verse 5, Haggai saying to them, uh, according to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth among you, fear ye not. Now, I'm focusing on this because it seems to me that it's a concept we need to get our heads around. That if we're to be useful builders of God's house, of the Ecclesia, we need to be listening to the word of God and developing a fellowship of spirit. Look at this passage from Romans 8 that I put on the screen for us. As many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. The spirit, the spirit of God, needs to bear witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Well, in being led by God's spirit, these people clearly were reacting to the word of God. And so their spirit bore witness to the fact that Yahweh was their God. Look at this verse in Philippians 2. If there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any Fellowship of the Spirit, if any bows and mercies. Let this mind be in you. This is the mind we're trying to cultivate. We're trying to get a fellowship of spirit with the mind which was in Christ Jesus. The way we're going to do that is by humbling ourselves to listen and respond to God's word. So we'll come now into Haggai chapter two and we'll sort of leave that alone. But I just to me it was interesting seeing. That word spirit going through and thinking, what's that about? seems to me it's about the fact that, yes, God's spirit was there among them in the sense that Haggai and Zechariah was preaching the word to them, and it was that word which could empower them. So that word was important to get into them. They need to develop that fellowship with spirit. That's how they were going to get this house, the, the Ecclesia filter. So coming now in Haggai 2 and verse 1, we see that Haggai is sent again to them Less than a month later, so you see the end of verse 15, uh, is in the sixth month, and now we see in chapter two and verse one, in the seventh month, in the one and twentieth day of the month, came the word of the Lord, the prophet, uh, by the prophet Haggai, saying, speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and to the residue, the remnant of the people, saying, okay, again, we'll get into what he's saying in a moment. We think it's interesting that he does come now in this seventh month. This time, the the, the 21st day we know of the seventh month, you'll recall was the month when the Feast of Tabernacles was on, where the people constructed those those makeshift tents, those booths, just as the children of Israel did while wandering in the desert. And and Haggai, whose name means festive, was clearly sent towards the end of this feast. And I think it was sort of inspired, of course it was, timing, because the Feast of Tabernacles commemorated their, their liberation from Egypt by the hand of God. We know that from Leviticus 23. But also to get them to recognize the blessings that they had came from God. That's what they did during the Feast of Tabernacles, that they celebrated the fact that the blessings that they were given were from God. Do you see what crucial timing it was. Um, And, of course, it would have helped those of them who would come in in the time of Ezra, some that time earlier, 17 years earlier, when, remember, in Ezra chapter 3, we saw that they kept the Feast of Tabernacles. So, most certainly, it would have got them thinking back to those days. We know these people needed reminding, didn't they, that God was with them, despite the adversaries that were there. God had a purpose with them to leave Babylon, to come to this land, as he had when Israel left Egypt. They needed reminding that God would bless them if their focus was on his house. So we read then in, we've just read verse 2, we know who it's speaking to, and now the message is then, who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? In other words, in the days of Solomon. And how do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison of that as nothing? Well, you will recall that there were those in the days of Zerubbabel Jeshua this time earlier that had looked at this temple, the foundation being laid, and thought, oh, this isn't going to be good enough. But clearly, that mindset was still a problem even now. So Haggai, in this time, is still having to address that. But God's exhortation through Haggai is really strong. Verse 4. Yet now, be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Josedech the high priest, and be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord, and work, for I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. Don't worry about making comparisons for days gone by. Don't worry about that. Instead, be strong. Now, it's no surprise that during the Feast of Tabernacles, their minds are being focused on the fact that God is with them. You, know? you see, again, verse 5, according to the word which I to you when you came out of Egypt, though my spirit remaineth among you, fear ye not. Don't worry. The, the prophets Haggai and Zechariah were filling them with God's spirit word. So that's what we think is being meant there. So my spirit remains among you. Just as... There, Nehemiah makes the, you sort of clearly connect the spirit with God's instruction through the word. Thou gave us also thy good spirit to instruct them. You testified against them by thy spirit in thy prophet. So, so you can see that when he's saying, my spirit remains among you, in other words, I think that's saying, look, through Haggai and Zechariah, I am speaking to you, just as I did through Moses when you came out of Egypt. So therefore, be strong, have confidence in what you're doing. If you're listening to the word of God, you're doing the right thing. So what God is assuring the people is that although they might feel that their work is small in comparison to the previous temple, actually, the work that they're doing is part of a much bigger plan that God has. Look at this now in verse 6. For thus saith the Lord of Hosts, yet once it is a little while... And I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. Now this becomes an incredibly helpful lesson for us too. God doesn't need great things from us, but he does want us to be strong and work in the truth. Throughout history, God uses believers to be part of his grand plan. Each of us can play a small part in it. In this case, in their case here, they were hung up about past glories, the magnificence of Solomon's temple, and this one looking positively ordinary in comparison. But of course, in the end, it's the believers that God is interested in. It's not in any physical building. So Haggai is inspired to say, in verse 7, I will shake all nations. Okay? Or verse 6, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And this is an amazing prophecy. It has relevance to their time. But in reality, it's looking way beyond their time right into the future. We know that because look at your margin carefully in verse 6, and hopefully you will see that it's cited in Hebrews 12, okay? Verse 26. So that's an easy one to circle. We've put that on the screen for us now to see this citation. Now, I want you to notice that in Hebrews 12, think of the timing of the letter to the Hebrews, written not long before the AD 70 is going to happen. Notice that, in a little while, is not any longer in the site there. He's taken out in a little while and now said, once more, I will shake not the earth only, but also the heaven. And we realize that it's been removed because the events of AD 70 are about to happen at the point that Hebrews is being written. Now, wonderfully, we have an inspired commentary following the citation. So we'll just put in bold now, the commentary which is going to follow this citation. And this word, yet once more, signifies the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. This is, I realize this is a bit difficult to begin with, so hold on, and we'll explain it again if we need to. Ten times over in the coffee breaks. The Jews in the first century had the same hang-up as the Jews in Haggai's day. They thought that the literal house, the literal building, was the most important thing. It wasn't. And here, they were told, remember how the Lord Jesus Christ told them, "Okay, there shall not be one stone left upon another. Stephen told them, the Most High doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. Paul seems to quote Stephen in making that same point so we've got to make sure we understand this okay make sure you've got this the temple there's not going to be one stone left upon another because the most high doesn't dwell in temples made with hands doesn't dwell in temples made with hands so let's ensure we've got this point The things which are made, you see where I've put it in bold? That's that Hebrews 12 passage, which is an explanation of Haggai. The things which are made, the temple, the city of Jerusalem, they will be removed. And they were in AD 70. The things that are made are going to be shaken and removed. We understand that.
1: What therefore remains
0: are the things which cannot be shaken. The grace of God shown in people who want to serve and glorify God in their lives. Here is the clincher. Look at this. Okay. The things that are made are going to be shaken and removed. Wherefore, okay, those things which cannot be shaken will remain. What are the things which cannot be shaken which will remain? Well, look at this. Christ, income and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. That is to say, not of this building. The ecclesia will, of course, ultimately manifest the glory of God in his kingdom. So coming back to Haggai 2, if you've not sort of uh, left there, great. We conclude with certainty that verse 6 is about AD 70. The heavens and the earth are metaphors for the Jewish order. Uh, We we can prove that, and I put the cross-references on the screen, from Deuteronomy uh, 32, verse 1, and Isaiah 1 and verse 2. The heavens and the earth, they're metaphors for the Jewish order that are going to be shaken and removed. But we know and believe that there needs to be another shaking of the land that will take place, one that will affect more than the Jewish order. So these verses, we believe, yes, they speak about AD 70, but they look beyond that too to the final shaking of the land that will take place, which will be followed by a temple being built to be filled with men and women who have sought the kingdom of God in their lives and as immortal saints will glorify God. Now, Ezekiel 38 speaks of that time. Just hold Haggai 2 and we'll briefly turn to Ezekiel 38 to just put a cross-reference in place. We're
1: drawing to a conclusion. Ezekiel 38.
0: So, Haggai 2 and verse 6, I will shake the heavens, the earth, the sea, the dry land. Ezekiel 38. You know, you know this chapter well, but let's pick this up in verse 19. For in my jealousy, obviously we all know this is the last days, in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath have I spoken. Surely in that day, There shall be a great shaking in the land of Israel, so that the fishes of the sea, the fowls of the heaven, the beasts of the field, the creeping things that creep upon the earth, all the men that are upon the face of the earth, shall shake at my presence. The mountains shall be thrown down, and the steep places shall fall, and every wall shall fall to the ground. So we see back in Haggai 2. Al Haggai is picking up the language of Ezekiel 38 and helping us to see how far-reaching this prophecy is. It's at that time, it's at that time, brother and sister, that eventual shaking that takes place, that we will see ultimately the fulfillment of verse 7. It's at that time the desire of all nations will come and God will fill his house with his glory. Haggai 2 and verse 7. I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. And it's true to say that at that time in the kingdom, that the kings of the earth will bring their glories. the queen of Sheba came to Solomon. The temple will be a stunning place, full of the natural materials, the gold and the silver, things like that that God has created. But of course, the glory that God is interested in is the, des- the things desired that have come from all nations. Okay, Let's just make sure we've got this. The desire of all nations, or the desirable things of all nations. That's what God is really interested in. The multitudinous Christ, the glorified saints, The people of all nations who have sought to glorify God in their lives. People like Zerubbabel and Jeshua who've been stirred up by the word of God. Now, please make sure you've got a cross reference for this. That word desire, desirable things, it's not used that often. But one time that it is used is in 2 Chronicles 36 and verse 10 about the desirable vessels. Remember the vessel, the vessels that were taken. Two Chronicles 36 and verse 10 will tell you the vessels were taken to Babylon. But time is coming when they will be brought out and be able to be part of God's house, the desire of all nations, the Lord Jesus and the saints we believe. But I'd like us to conclude this study now by going back to Ezra, Ezra chapter five. Just gonna have, five minutes max, in Ezra 5. In our exhortation on Sunday, we will sort of pick up again in Haggai chapter 2, and we'll spend some time focusing on Zerubbabel, uh, the one who we're told to behold the man, and draw our minds with that to the Lord Jesus Christ. But here we want to sort of conclude this story, as it were, and make sure we understand that the Rutherford and Jeshua and the remnant of the people, those faithful ones who were stirred up by the word of God, they did get back onto the foundation of that temple and they got that temple built. And you're going to see now how it is that they finished that work, the thrilling thing to be able to see. We left off a while ago in chapter 5 and verse 2 and 3, and Tatnai was there and we saw the letter that... He wrote to try to stop them building the work. And the summary verse in there is Ezra 5 and verse 5. But the eye of God was upon the elders of the Jews that they could not cause them to cease till the matter came to Darius and then they returned answer by letter turning this matter. The adversaries couldn't stop it. This was God's work. And his eye, which we can equate to the angels, was at work. It was over those who were working in this. And although Tatnai and Shephar Bosnai and their companions did look to try to stop the house of God being built, it was irrelevant. They couldn't now. They were up against the angels of God. If God before us, well, who can be against us? The work couldn't be stopped. And just see how the word ceased there in verse 5. Okay, They tried. They could not cause them to cease. It's the same word in chapter 6 and verse 8, which says this. Moreover, and you remember how this is Darius' reply to Tatnai. Moreover, I make a decree. What ye shall do to the elders of these Jews, okay? You're going to help out Zerubbabel and Jeshua and, and those people that are building the house of God. that of the king's goods, even the tribute beyond the river, forthwith expenses be given unto these men, that they be not hindered. The work could not stop. It couldn't be ceased. It couldn't be hindered. Work of God was going to be completed. The temple would be built. What an amazing point in history. How the ecclesia in those days would have seen that God is able to do more than we can imagine. Every provision is made. Verse nine, that which they had need of, both young bullets, rams, lambs, for the burnt offering of the God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine, and oil, according to the appointed... Might of the priests which are at Jerusalem, let it be given day by day without fail, that they may offer sacrifices of sweet savours unto the God of heaven and pray for the life of the king and his sons. Also I've made a decree that whosoever shall alter this word, let Timber be pulled down from his house and being set up, let him be hanged thereon, let his house be made a dunghill for this. And the God that have caused his name to dwell there, destroy all kings and people that shall put to their hand to alter and to destroy this house of God. Which is at Jerusalem, I Darius have made them a decree that it be done with speed. Then, that night, governor on this side of the river, Shethaposnai, their companions, according to that which Darius the king had sent, so they did speedily. And the elders of the Jews builded, and they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet, and Zechariah the son of Idu. And they builded and finished it according to the commandment of the God of Israel. And according to the commandment of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. And you can put in your margin there, brothers and sisters, 516 B.C. against verse 15. And this house was finished on the third day of the month Adar, which was in the sixth year of the reign of Darius the king. 516 B.C., 70 years after the destruction of the temple in 586 B.C. Amazing word of God coming true. What an amazing time. They prospered. And I want you to just pick up that word, they prospered, in verse 14. And I'm going to tell you that it's the same Hebrew word that's used in Isaiah 55. And I've heard brethren using this in prayers. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing. For unto I sent it. God's word will prosper, brothers and sisters. And although we might at times feel like there are delays, adversaries, challenges, which there are, his word will prosper. So let's be willing to put our hands to the work of building, even though we might be just a small part of the jigsaw, let's use the time to edify the ecclesia. We can have absolute confidence that the God of heaven is at work. His angels are bringing about his purpose under the direction of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's finish with some left. Use our time wisely. Give time to the word, because it's the word that can stir us up to work. Cut out materialism. Don't be swayed by the world's marketing. Instead, give willingly. Look, not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Trust that God really does know what is best for us. Recognize that God has a grand plan, that we're just a small part of But what he wants from us is a desire to be strong and to build. And finally, be sure that God's work will be finished. There's that lovely verse in Philippians 1. Let's conclude with that. Being confident of this very thing, the he which hath begun a good work in you will form it till the day of Jesus Christ.